Welcome to This Week in the History of Psychology for March 18th to 24th. This is your host, Christopher Green of York University in Toronto, Canada. In this episode, we'll first take a brief look at some of the most important events that happened during This Week in Psychology's past. Then we'll have our feature interview with Professor Wade Pickren on the early African-American psychologist Oren Eagleson. Finally, we'll celebrate the birthdays of some important psychologists. All this and more on this installment of This Week in the History of Psychology. For March 18th. In 1869, the first published reference in the United States to the experimental psychology of Gustav Fechner and Wilhelm Wundt was made by Charles Sanders Peirce in a review of Noah Porter's The Human Intellect that appeared in The Nation. Also on March 18th, in 1959, Leon Festinger and J. Merrill Carlsmith's article, Cognitive Consequences of Forced Compliance, was published in the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology. This was the cognitive dissonance study in which participants were paid either $1 or $20 to lie about their enjoyment of a boring task. For March 20th, in 1922, physiological psychologist Henri Pierron began a series of experiments on paranormal phenomena at the Sorbonne in Paris. The popular newspaper L'Opinion had urged that studies be done to see whether a spiritual medium, Eva Carrière, could produce ectoplasm under controlled conditions. She could not. For March 21st, in 1960, Eleanor J. Gibson and Richard Walk's article, The Visual Cliff, was published in Scientific American. The article reported studies of depth perception in infants to a broad audience. For March 22nd, in 1973, Albert Bandura's book, Aggression, a Social Learning Analysis, was published. For March 24th, in 1879, Wilhelm Wundt submitted a petition to the Royal Saxon Ministry of Education requesting funds to establish a collection of psychophysical apparatus at the University of Leipzig. Because the petition was denied for lack of funds, Wundt established the first psychological laboratory with his personal equipment. And also for March 24th, in 1980, Senator William Proxmire paid $10,000 in an out-of-court settlement of a defamation suit brought by psychologist Ronald Hutchinson. Proxmire had ridiculed Hutchinson's aggression research in one of his Golden Fleece Award speeches on the misallocation of federal funds. For this episode's interview, we are going to reach back to an event that actually occurred last week. On March 14, 1910, Oren Wendell Eagleson was born. Eagleson was an early significant African-American psychologist, a graduate of Indiana University, who earned his way through school by working in a shoe repair shop. He landed a position at Spelman College in Atlanta, a prestigious school for black women, where he guided the psychology program for nearly half a century. 
On the line to talk to us about Eagleson's accomplishments and his remarkable legacy is Professor Wade Pickren of Ryerson University in Toronto. Dr. Pickren was the longtime historian and archivist for the American Psychological Association and is the author of the article Between the Cup of Principle and the Lip of Practice, Ethnic Minorities and American Psychology, 1966-1980, published in History of Psychology in 2004. Professor Pickren, what was Orrin Eagleson's background, and how did he come to be interested in psychology? Well, I, I'm not sure of the of the answer to the very last part of your question, but we do know from the work of uh, Dr. Robert Guthrie uh, that he grew up in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, uh, where the University of Indiana is. And we know that his parents encouraged education. His older brother, for example, was a professor of physics at Howard, and uh, so quite accomplished person, quite accomplished family. Uh, their parents died when they were relatively young, and uh, so what... Um, Dr. Eagleson, or Orrin Eagleson at the time, had to do was really just work and uh, work his way to help support himself. He was living with an older sister, uh, but he was able to attend the University of Indiana, and he earned his uh, bachelor's there in 1931, his master's there in 1932, his Ph.D. in 1935. Now, I think it's kind of remarkable um, in many ways, uh, uh, this scenario of his education, um, there just simply weren't many opportunities for minorities, especially African Americans, for higher education, and that was especially so at predominantly white institutions, and very few uh, uh, historically black colleges or universities had graduate programs, Howard being uh, one of the only ones. And uh, But while he was at Indiana, there were actually some very good professors there. Of course, we know that later on, B.F. Skinner was there, and uh, uh, William Estes was there. But in this time period, in the 1930s, there was Winthrop Kellogg, the person who uh, is famous for his work with primates and uh, animal learning, uh, J.R. Cantor, the uh, interbehaviorist, C.M. Red Lautet was there, one of the people who was, uh, oddly enough, uh, at one time a, a Robert Yerke student, uh, but it went on to really make his name as one of the first uh, kind of, uh, and I'll use this phrase advisedly, uh, but uh, modern clinical psychologist and one of the people who wrote uh, some of the early work that was so influential in uh, developing the field of modern clinical psychology. And also E.S. Conklin was there at this time, so it was quite a good uh, faculty at Indiana. And he would, so Orrin Eagleson, while a student there, would have had exposure to, I think, first-rate research and theory in uh, several areas. Um, do we know who his, uh, who, who his doctoral supervisor was? Uh, J.R. Kemper was certainly an influence on his work, uh, but a person named R.C. Davis chaired his doctoral committee. If you look around at who Orrin Eagleson's peers were, um, other African-American men and women who were earning graduate degrees uh, in the 1930s and even into the 1940s, it's really a remarkable list of people. And, and I'd like to mention a few of those names, uh, people like Alberta Turner, uh, Joseph Alkert, who was for many years at Florida A&M in Tallahassee and who was Robert Guthrie's uh, professor. Uh, James Baton, uh, who was one of the leaders, uh, went to Howard, uh, ended up uh, as a professor at Howard University and one of the leaders in getting uh, funding for higher education initiatives in, uh, in black, historically black colleges. Uh, Inez Prosser, whom Ludy Benjamin has written so uh, eloquently about, uh, Ruth Howard, Herman Kennedy, who was an interesting person who was very involved in what was called the National Teachers Association and uh, who was the candidate from that group, Division Six, 
that was part of the reorganization of APA during the 19, uh, early 1940s. Howard Hill Long, who was uh, uh, very involved in education and educational research in Washington, D.C., and who ended up uh, in the last years of his career as a, a noted uh, administrator at uh, Central State College in Ohio, uh, Charles Thompson, Albert Beckham, uh, Katura Whitehurst, who was at Virginia Union for so many years, and, of course, uh, Kenneth and Mamie Clark uh, were part of the same cohort, uh, as was S.O. Roberts, the person whose uh, position that Orrin Eagleson took at Spelman College, S.O. Roberts went to Fisk University, a historically black school in Nashville, and there he founded the psychology department and had as one of his notable students uh, Henry Toms, who was just retired as the uh, director of the public interest area at APA and who was the uh, uh, commissioner for mental health in the state of Massachusetts uh, for many years. Uh, and so this is a remarkable group of men and women who were educated at the same time uh, that Orrin Eagleson was in the 1930s. Uh, and if you look back at the research published by many of these men and women in the 1930s and 40s, but you'll see that they published quite a bit on race differences. I put the word race really in, in quotes here. Um, and they were very careful to use acceptable methodologies of the time. But when you look at their work, what they were doing was subtly and sometimes not so subtly undermining the ideology of white racial superiority using the very methods that uh, white psychologists had used to, in white psychologists' eyes to show that blacks were inferior. So this is a remarkable group of people who were, uh, who were able to uh, not only get a, a great education but then make contributions that served to, uh, to do away with, in the long run, some of the, uh, of the racism that was in psychology. Now, what I really find interesting about this group, too, is that while they made, most of them made major contributions, and an important contribution of many of these men and women was that they inspired the next generation of African-American students. And it was that next generation that ended up making the greater impact on American psychology. But, but I would argue that they could, this next generation could have only have done so because of their mentors like Orrin Eagleson. Well, now, after earning his Ph.D. at Indiana, Eagleson was hired by Spelman College in Atlanta, where he served as the department chair for 45 years. Now, because Spelman is a traditionally black woman's college, he conducted a number of the first psychological studies focusing specifically on African-American women. Uh, could you tell us a bit about the special role that Spelman plays in the African-American community? It was and is part of what's called the Atlanta University Consortium. Uh, it includes Morehouse College, Clark University, not the Clark, of course, in Massachusetts, but Clark University of Atlanta, and then Atlanta University. Spelman College was uh, funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, was named in honor of Laura Spelman Rockefeller. Uh, it was, uh, at the time, Orson was there and is an elite institution uh, that has always attracted uh, kind of the brightest and most capable black women students. Uh, among notable current leaders in American psychology who were Spelman graduates uh, is Toy Caldwell-Colbert, the recent uh, president of uh, APA's Division 45, study for the study of psychology and ethnic minority issues. Um, and it's, uh, it was Dr. Uh, Caldwell-Colbert who uh, first told me about Orrin Eagleson and how he was such an influence on her and other students uh, in, in, in his teaching and in who he was as a person, that uh, psychology was something that could be used to 
they make a positive difference in the lives of African Americans. So I think Spelman is, is really a, has been a crucial place for training uh, uh, black leaders, especially, of course, black women leaders. And for many years, most of those uh, students went into fields like education and social work. Uh, but increasingly, of course, as time went on and more opportunities were available, many of those women now are, uh, of course, PhDs in psychology and in other fields. I, I went to graduate school, a Spelman uh, graduate, uh, probably the smartest person in our uh, entering class in uh, graduate school at the University of Florida. She certainly won every kind of award that you, that you could win. So Spelman, I think, has had a history of attracting the best and the brightest. Well, now, Eagleson's research covered a, a wide array of topics, uh, musical preferences, number preferences, personality traits, values, puzzle solving, even one's reaction to one's own name and one's ability to recognize one's mm -hmm. own handwriting. Uh, could you tell us something about this research? W was there something that held it all together? Well, uh, you know, one of the things about Orrin Eagleson uh, that uh, if you look at his research and the little bit that I, I know about uh, that research is that a lot of it was very practical research, um, how to improve instruction, for example, and uh, this was part of his work at Spelman, where a lot of the graduates were going to go into ed uh, work in education or in social work. Um, but we know that, that when Eagleson came to Spelman in 1936, after earning his degree in 1935, he inherited the laboratory that uh, S.O. Roberts uh, had established, the first laboratory at a historically black uh, college or university. And Roberts, as I said, had left to go to Fisk University. So he had, there was a laboratory there, but Eagleson was the only member of the Spelman uh, College psychology department, if you, if you will, during this time period. It was only later that they were able to hire more faculty. Uh, now, what he did do, though, and where you see a lot, I think a lot of this research is coming from, uh, and it does seem very disparate, is that he was part of this Atlanta University consortium, of course, that included Morehouse and Clark and and uh, so he was supervising graduate students um, in this consortium. And my guess, and I have to say it is a guess, my guess is that um, a fair amount of the research that was published uh, was done really as part of uh, working with graduate students and their various tasks. Uh, again, Spelman was the school that had the laboratory, so some of those uh, laboratory, uh, that laboratory research would have been coming out of Spelman. Perhaps the students might have been at Morehouse or Clark. But coming over to Spelman to uh, actually do the work, do the work. Now, now we also know uh, from uh, Robert Guthrie's uh, wonderful book, Even the Rat Was White, uh, that Eagleson also moved into administration. He became a dean um, in uh, the 1950s, uh, and it wasn't until 1970 that he uh, became uh, kind of returned to the classroom in a really active way. Uh, so I, I, my guess is that a lot of that research uh, was done very much in a, in a part-time way. Now, there is an interesting early uh, piece of research that uh, Robert Guthrie mentions in his book and that, that uh, I looked up. It's a piece of work called uh, Comparative Studies of White and Negro Subjects in Learning to Discriminate Visual Magnitude. Uh, this was published in the Journal of Negro Education. I think it was 1935. And it was on a special uh, issue devoted to the question of race differences. There, there had been a long-held notion by white psychologists and anthropologists uh, that there were differences in like perceptual abilities and some physically related abilities that in certain areas, Negroes, as they were called at the time, 
um, would be uh, better at doing because uh, they were more primitive. That is, they they didn't have such an overlay of culture or education. And this is, if you think back to the uh, famous uh, research of W.H.R. Rivers and others, uh, this was some of the Rivers' work uh, was uh, some of the first to kind of begin to debunk that added, that uh, thinking. But it still held the place in uh, psychology and experimental psychology. And so in the 1930s, the Journal of Negro Education, which uh, comes out of Howard University, and it's still called the Journal of Negro Education, was uh, they they ask a number of people, both white and black psychologists, to publish uh, any work that they were doing in this area. And uh, this is the work that Orrin Eagleson published, this comparative studies, again, showing that, in fact, there's not uh, the kind of results that you would have uh, if you took the old racial ideology that in certain more primitive or basic areas you would expect blacks to be superior. So that we know about uh, that piece of work, how it fit into this early work, what I was mentioning earlier, about how er a lot of these early black psychologists did work that uh, kind of subtly and not so subtly debunked these notions of uh, racial differences. Now, later in his career, Orrin Eagleson, uh, I think, uh, played a very important role in uh, the uh, Head Start program, mm -hmm. which uh, came out of... Um, some work being done in various places, uh, Martin and uh, Cynthia Deutsch's work in New York City with uh, uh, kind of ex early exposure to enriched environments, of course, which was predicated upon the David Kretsch uh, work on uh, enriched environments and, uh, and Mark Rosenzweig's work uh, in enriched environments and rats. And Martin and Cynthia Deutsch took that work and then showed how it could be used in terms of providing enriched environments for uh, black children in Harlem. And anyway, out of all of that, uh, the Head Start program uh, was begun under the initiative of President Lyndon Johnson as part of his war on poverty in the 1960s. And Orrin Eagleson was one of the few black psychologists to actually be a consultant on the Head Start program, which uh, if somebody sh someday should write a history of the Head Start program that doesn't valorize it, uh, because much of that work uh, done was done uh, by white psychologists that really had a very negative view of black families very much a deficit view, the idea of the tangle of pathology of the black family. And so it really played on deficits rather than on the strengths of black families. But Warren Eagleson was one of the very, very few black psychologists to have a part in, in consulting in that. A lot of black psychologists who were asked to consult actually quit because they, were, uh, they could never, if you will, get the place of primacy in terms of being the advisor. They always had to serve as an adjunct to uh, the work of some white psychologists. Now, in the 1960s, too, uh, Orrin Eagleson worked with uh, Carolyn Payton, who was uh, an African-American psychologist at Howard University, and uh, she was one of the first directors of the Peace Corps. And that's also another fascinating history that needs to be written, because psychologists were part and parcel of the founding of the, of the Peace Corps, and to this date, I haven't really been able to find any scholarship on that. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, Orrin Eagleson was a consultant on how to train Peace Corps volunteers, how to work in different cultures and uh, really using as a model his work in uh, working in black cultures. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we know that while there may not be any one particular thread that runs through all of his work, uh, obviously some of it was being done with graduate students at the Atlanta Consortium, uh, but a lot of his work does seem to focus on, uh, on training and upon education, which, of course, fits in with the, uh, what was going on 
Feldman College. Now, in 1968, uh, an official association of black psychologists was formed, and uh, the year after, in 1969, uh, uh, an association called the Black Students Psychological Association actually uh, stormed the stage at the American Psychological Association convention um, and made some demands. Was Orrin Eagleson in, involved in that? And uh, could you tell us a little bit about that story? By the time 1968 came around, of course, Orrin Eagleson was uh, kind of a senior psychologist at this point. Uh, and the AB side, the Association of Black Psychologists, was formed uh, by the generation really after Eagleson, that generation I mentioned earlier that, uh, in my view, I think had um, a larger impact on American psychology. But we do know that Orrin Eagleson was supportive of um, the whole work of uh, the Association of Black Psychologists and supportive of black psychology. In an interview I did with his uh, his student, uh, Toy Caldwell Colbert, uh, she spoke uh, very eloquently about that, that Eagleson was very uh, supportive of uh, black, you know, black pride and black nationalism. Uh, he did not perhaps see himself in the same way and playing the same role that some of the younger psychologists did. Uh, but he was supportive of that. Of course, he was also uh, supportive of the uh, kind of the complementary or corollary movement of the civil rights movement, which was much more of an integrationist movement. But uh, he w he was not part of the founding founding of the Association of Black Psychologists, as far as I know. I mean, reading Miss uh, Williams' uh, work on the dis doctoral dissertation on the founding of um, ABCI, I did not see his name in there. Now, all the work of ABCI was done, almost all of it were male psychologists. Uh, there were a couple of women involved. And that all came out of, I think, a, a time of frustration where they felt like that uh, APA had really dragged its feet about doing anything uh, about the lack of opportunities for black psychologists or minority psychologists in general. Uh, they, for example, people like Joseph White and others, had received the same degree as their colleagues, but were having a great deal of trouble finding equivalent kinds of jobs. Uh, and, I, and I would argue that these were people who built on the work of pioneers like uh, Dr. Eagleson, but uh, I think we're also inspired by the writings of folks like Malcolm X, and uh, they were essentially part of the black power or, or uh, black nationalist movement that arose in the 1960s that had as a political uh, leaders, people like uh, Stokely Carmichael or uh, Eldridge Cleaver. And it was in this uh, kind of setting then that you, as this filtered into academia, that you had uh, associations like the Black Psychologists Forum, the Black Students Psychological Association formed in 1969. But this was also happening in sociology. It was happening in political science. It was happening in anthropology. Uh, so it was happening in the various academic disciplines. And I, I think I, when I look at that now, what I see is that it's it's really part of this uh, uh, anti-oppression movement uh, and kind of worldwide movement. It was a decolonization movement. You know, in the 1940s, India had won their independence and various uh, former colonies in Africa and other places around the world were throwing off or escaping the shackles of, uh, of colonization, sometimes with disastrous results. Um, but uh, this movement of the of ABCI and the Black Student Psychological Association, I really see that as part of this uh, kind of decolonization, anti-oppression movement. But I would also say that without the work of Dr. Eagleson and others of his generation, they could not have accomplished as much as they did or as soon as they did. 
but by and large, Dr. Eagleson and his group, uh, his generation, were not activists. Now, the story kind of behind this uh, that I think folks like Orrin Eagleson are important, an important part of is that APA had, in 1963, established in kind of an in-house committee, uh, Division 9 of APA, uh, the Society for the Psychological Study of Social Issues, had put up the money to, to form a committee that was called the Committee of Equal Opportunity in Psychology. And they were charged with kind of exploring this lack of opportunity for um, minority psychologists in uh, around the country. And they had a, uh, uh, a couple of the members of the uh, committee were uh, African-American psychologists. It was led by uh, uh, Wispy, um, I think Lauren Wispy, who was at Oklahoma at the time. And uh, they were expected to give back a report in just a couple of years, but it seemed like every year they would delay their report. And finally, uh, from the kind of the insider story that I've been told on that, um, it was Joseph Alkard, who was the Florida uh, black psychologist of Florida A&M, who finally grew so frustrated with Wispy and Wispy's obstructionism uh, that, he, uh, that he kind of just took over and uh, basically wrote the report, which appeared in 1968. Well, I mean, this had been going on and on and on. Every year, the APA would promise there'd be a report, and then they would take action. And finally, uh, they nothing was happening, and a lot of the younger black psychologist people, uh, and, I, and I, I think these are names that are important. Some of these men have now uh, just recently died, but a uh, uh, number of them are still around, thankfully. But uh, people like uh, Joseph L. White, who's at UC Irvine now, people like Henry Toms, who just retired from being the director of APA's public interest area, people like uh, Robert Green, uh, Robert Williams, who is also the inventor of Ebonics, uh, Reginald Jones, who just recently died too, who was at UC Berkeley and uh, Hampton University in Virginia. Uh, and so these were, I think, really important people. Bob Guthrie uh, was part of this. Uh, these are important people uh, who, who decided to take matters in their own hand and begin to try to, uh, if you will, uh, put some pressure on APA, kind of from outside, just like people like Kenneth Clark and others are putting pressure on APA from inside. Uh, well, these were folks putting uh, pressure on APA from outside. And then in 1969, uh, this uh, group, uh, the Black Student Psychological Association, uh, interestingly, uh, two chapters had formed without knowing of, uh, of each other, one at the University of Michigan and one at Long Beach State University in California. And uh, through uh, kind of a, the grapevine, they heard about each other and agreed to meet in Washington, D.C. in 1969. And while there, then, they decided to storm the stage, uh, just as George Miller was about to give his presidential uh, speech. And they uh, dressed in army fatigues, which uh, was, of course, appeared to be quite threatening. Mm -hmm. And uh, 12 men, and some of them are like James Jackson, who is the well-known social psychologist at the University of Michigan now. And uh, they demanded, uh, George Miller yielded the microphone, and uh, they had a list of demands, which, of course, was the de rigueur uh, way of doing it at the time, and uh, then returned the microphone to George Miller, where he gave a presidential address on uh, giving psychology away. So it was in that context. And Orrin Eagleson, in some ways, of course, is a person who helped set the stage for that. Well, thank you very much for this today. We have been speaking with Professor Wade Pickren of Ryerson University in Toronto about the life and legacy of Orrin Eagleson. 
In addition to the article that I mentioned before the interview, Dr. Pickering was also the editor of a special section on the legacy of Kenneth Clark um, in American Psychologist in 2002. And he has forthcoming an article in History of Psychology called Tension and Opportunity in Postwar American Psychology. If you're interested in reading more about the history of African Americans in psychology, the place to go is, of course, Robert Guthrie's book, which was mentioned by Dr. Pickering a couple times in the interview, called Even the Rat Was White. The second edition of that book came out in 1997, and it's published by Alline and Bacon. And now it's time for birthdays. First, for March 18th, in 1886, Kurt Kafka was born. Kafka is recognized as one of the founders of Gestalt Psychology, and he presented a complete statement of the theory in his book, Principles of Gestalt Psychology, published in 1935. Next, for March 19th, in 1906, Joseph McVicker Hunt was born. Hunt was noted for his studies of the influence of early experience on intelligence and thinking, and he was American Psychological Association president in 1952. Also on March 19th, in 1927, Alan Newell was born. Newell made noteworthy contributions to understanding human cognition, problem-solving, speech recognition, and organizational behavior, especially in his work with Herbert Simon on artificial intelligence. For March 20th, in 1904, B.F. Skinner was born. Skinner's radical behaviorism provided a systematic analysis of the effects of consequences on behavior. Next, for March 22nd, in 1889, Walter S. Hunter was born. A comparative psychologist, Hunter invented the delayed reaction and double alternation tests of animal learning. He was APA president in 1931. For March 23rd, in 1900, Eric Frum was born. Frum's widely read Escape from Freedom and The Art of Loving applied psychoanalytic theory to the relation between society and the individual. And finally, also on March 23, in 1933, Philip Zimbardo was born. Zimbardo's work has centered on the psychology of social issues, and he is most famous, of course, for his prison study. He was American Psychological Association president in 2002. That's it for this episode of This Week in the History of Psychology. We would love to hear your comments on the show. You can email us at twithop, that's the initials of This Week in the History of Psychology, T-W-I-T-H-O-P at yorku.yorku dot C-A. We would like to thank York University for hosting the program, as well as Michael Guimar for his technical assistance, and especially Warren Street and the American Psychological Association for their website, Today in the History of Psychology, which we use for research and from which we sometimes quote directly. This Week in the History of Psychology is the sole property of Christopher Green. The opinions expressed on This Week in the History of Psychology are not necessarily those of Christopher Green or of York University. 